there's this immense pressure to be the perfect parent, to be super mum or super dad or whatever it is. And it is compounded by societal images that we see out there. And it's just not realistic to try to be perfect. Consider whether what you're aiming for is realistic. I know it might seem that way because celebrities and people online make it seem so easy. Remember that whatever you see is one part. People choose what they present. Even friends, even family members, they choose what they present to you. So you have no idea, unless you obviously know somebody very well, all the other parts that they may be dealing with. Don't transpose a section or a snapshot of what somebody is showing you and then use that to compare your whole life or your whole experience, because that just piles the pressure on more as well. Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to season two of Blue Mum Days, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. All the stories shared here are from the heart. These are real conversations and may be triggering, so please listen with discretion. Today's episode covers birth trauma, birthing in extreme situations, and post-traumatic stress disorder. We will also signpost you to help in the show notes. Thank you. This episode was recorded during the spring of 2022. Today's guest is Dr. Oriayo Onabanjo. Ori is a chartered counselling psychologist with a passion for delivering psychological therapy and perinatal wellbeing workshops. These are aimed at mums experiencing a range of mental health and interpersonal challenges during the perinatal period. Her skills also include helping mums cultivate stronger attachments with their babies and addressing the impact unresolved childhood trauma can have on the journey of motherhood. Ori has worked in mental health for 10 years in a variety of settings, including the NHS, charities, and educational settings, bringing a wealth of experience to her role as a psychologist specializing in perinatal mental health. Welcome to Blue Mum Days, Ori. Lovely to have you join us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> so first of all, can you explain what you do and also why you got into perinatal mental health as a field? Yeah, sure. So in a nutshell, what I do, so I'm a psychologist, so I'm predominantly offering psychological therapy. Sometimes this is individual or in a group setting to individuals experiencing a range of difficulties. But I have a specialist interest of working with mums um, during the, the perinatal period. I do offer therapy, I also do workshops, but I also do training and consultation to other healthcare professionals around perinatal mental health as well. So that, that's some of the things I do. So a range of different things. And in terms of why I got into perinatal mental health, I've just always been really interested in birth, pregnancy from quite a young age, to be honest. And so when I was doing my psychology training, I attended a conference around perinatal mental health and then it just occurred to me, I had an epiphany really, and I thought, oh, this is what I can specialise in since I've had this interest for so long. So yeah, that's how I found myself 
in this field <laughs> rather than any lived experience but you know yeah. what incredibly rewarding area and I would love to talk to you a bit later on about the work that you're doing with healthcare professionals because I think that's a really important thing that we can explore but it would be really good to know in terms of because this podcast is aimed at parents predominantly the sorts of things that you might offer help with for mums or dads going through having a baby yeah so I guess it's a range of things really um sometimes it can be low mood so depression it can be anxiety and that anxiety can be about lots of different things it could be about just the process of becoming a new parent and kind of how that changes everything or it changes a lot of things for most people and kind of adjusting to that it can be worries around being a good parent whether they're going to do a good job or not Sometimes it's more around relationship difficulties that a person might be experiencing with their partner if they have one. And also identity comes up a lot and sort of, yeah, becoming a mother, becoming a father. And yeah, the identity changes that happen and what your life was right before and then adjusting to a new configuration of yourself as who you still are, but also as a parent as well. So those are some of the things that come up and also birth trauma comes up a lot as well actually so I do work with a lot of parents around processing their birth trauma and seeing what it is that they need I suppose to not necessarily move on but to feel that they can recover from the experience so yeah there are a few things there. And um, for anybody that's listening who has had a traumatic birth or feels that they're having negative effects of their birthing experience we do actually have a specific episode relating to birth trauma with Dr Rebecca Moore of Make Birth Better so please look out for that episode and give it a listen. Becoming a parent is literally a roller coaster of emotions and I love that you're actually looking at the whole perinatal period so for anybody that doesn't know what perinatal means it's from pregnancy through to actually your postnatal period so it's the whole thing rather than just before or just after um, yeah. I'd love to talk to you more about the identity thing because that's something that I as a parent really related to and a lot of the people that I've spoken to have felt quite difficult emotions around adjusting to being suddenly your mum and your identity as an individual disappears overnight and also in terms of the postnatal care you get it's always very much aimed at the baby and less mm -hmm. about how are you mum how are you dad so yeah mm -hmm. if you could talk a bit more about that thank you yeah yeah definitely I think a lot of people struggle with that and I think sometimes people find it difficult to say that they're struggling with that because it's obviously it's seen as such a joyous thing and for most people having a baby is but just because it's a joyful thing doesn't mean it's not hard work of course it's hard work and it's it's a, it's a person it's a little person but they're going to grow up into being a fully fledged human being and it's like it changes the family dynamic it changes the family system it changes your life both psychologically but also practically on a day-to-day -day basis your life has changed so I think a lot of people struggle because perhaps they're not they're no longer able to do the things that they were doing before because now you know the central focus of their life is no longer maybe their career anything else they may have been involved in or themselves really now it's the central focus it has to be about the baby especially in those kind of early early days but I don't think it should be only just about the baby though so I think it's really difficult I think there's a lot of ambivalence because there's the joy of it there's the excitement of it but then people also often talk about a sense of loss and a sense of grief 
and feel quite ashamed to say that because they feel that they shouldn't be saying that because they've got this blessing or they've got this gift. But the reality is that I think the way I see it or understand it is that life is a paradox. There's good things happen, but it's not just always good. There's a number of things that come with that and you have to work things out and navigate it. And so I think I also see becoming a parent, becoming a mother, becoming a father. It can be quite paradoxical in terms of you have a lot of mixed feelings about it. And that doesn't mean you don't love your child. It doesn't mean that you don't want to be a parent, but like you're a human being and you're going through all of these changes. I guess in in the work that I do, I always really try to normalise that sense of ambivalence because it's normal to feel ambivalent. It's still life at the end of the day. It's a different phase of life. When do we ever just feel completely positive about anything really it ebbs and it flows and there's good days and there's bad days and I think the thing that can be quite shocking is that sometimes people don't expect that identity change or expect that shift they might imagine oh yeah obviously they're going to a new phase of life and they're preparing themselves mentally for it but sometimes it's when you actually get there then you think oh my gosh this is what it's really like sort of thing and so I think it's about as much as possible trying to cultivate self-compassion I think during that time as much as possible to just allow yourself to adjust because it's a transition and why should you expect yourself to just be able to go through a transition smoothly without any blips without you know everything going perfectly it's just not real it's not realistic as well as far as I'm concerned it's not realistic and in terms of my clinical experience of working with parents it just doesn't really tend to be how it is there's a lot there yeah the identity thing that is a big it's a big thing I think it's important to think about, I guess, be open to the idea that your identity will change and that it may not be helpful to want to hang on to exactly what it was before, because now it just it can't be exactly what it is before. But that doesn't mean you have to completely lose yourself. And even if you find that you do, that doesn't mean you can't find a way back to reconnect with the parts of yourselves that actually you, you really value and you hold dear. And sometimes it can be an opportunity to reflect and think, well, what? you know, what was I doing before? What parts of myself were kind of present before? Do I want to keep that? Or actually maybe, you know, through going through this process made me think that's not something I want to do anymore or be involved in anymore. That's not how I think anymore. And it's it's quite a fluid dynamic process. So I think it's allowing it to be what it is, um, to be honest. But yeah, I've said a lot there. No, (laughs) No, it's fabulous. And I think it's going to be hugely reassuring to a lot of listeners. It's incredible because in any other field you have preparation you know like in any sort of work experience or new experience there's always lots of research you can do and Mm. prepare for things but actually nothing quite prepares you for becoming a parent you can do loads of reading go to like workshops NCT whatever but overnight you are suddenly responsible for a human being's life and nothing can prepare you for that. And just, just to have somebody with your authority and your experience to say, it's okay. And it is normal to find that adjustment difficult and that's okay. And you don't need to snap into it overnight and you can Mm -hmm. grieve the parts of you that you feel you've lost and, Having come through it myself, I would just like to reassure any listeners that, as Ori says, the bits that you want to take with you, you will get back in touch with those. Mm. And especially in the, the first year of your baby's life, your child's life, and the adjustment to becoming a parent, you might think, and especially with, you know, 
lack of sleep and your your whole schedule just up in the air that you're never going to get normal life as you knew it back again but I am here to say you absolutely will Mm -hmm. and that it's just a matter of time so just go with the flow and again as Ori says life is a paradox you're never going to be completely happy or completely unhappy there's a lot of gray areas and just Mm -hmm. let those emotions come and go but you are absolutely entitled and it is normal to find it a struggle at times Mm, completely I completely agree yeah but it's funny actually how little things like one thing I remember so I've always been really into music and I would go to gigs all the time before I had Stanley and I was in an all-girl rock band and there was a point when I was absolutely at my lowest with postnatal depression was that even if one of my favorite songs came on the radio, I had to turn it off because it would just, mm. it was like this weird sort of signifier of my previous life. And it would actually make me feel physically sick. Mm. I don't think I'll ever fully understand it, but I think that was part mm. of the illness and part of that thing about identity and who I was now. But it's, yeah, it's such a reassuring thing to hear that from you. So thank you for, for sharing <laughs> that with us. What other issues do you find come up time and time again with the people that you work with? Yeah, I think another thing is around, I suppose, childhood trauma. And when I say that, trauma doesn't necessarily need to mean something really overtly, obviously terrible happened during your childhood. For some people it is, it might be that. But sometimes the other way I could, I suppose, phrase it is kind of difficult childhood experiences. So I think sometimes not everybody's always fortunate to have necessarily grown up in a family set up that was the ideal or good enough because obviously it can never be perfect. And so sometimes there can be, I suppose, almost what I would call emotional wounds from that time that rear their head again when you become a mum or dad or parent. That's a lot of the work that I do actually with some people is like processing the things that have come up for them because it's almost like in a way they can sometimes feel that they're recreating a dynamic that they had with maybe their parents or particular family members with their own children and they don't want to do that they don't necessarily pass on those same kind of intergenerational patterns working through that kind of trying to disentangle what's theirs and put things back where they belong I suppose and kind of like as a grown-up looking back at their childhood from a different grown-up lens rather than from a childhood lens because obviously it's a very different vantage point and so yeah that's something that comes up a lot it's kind of working through that and going back in trying to resolve some of the experiences that a person may have had so that they can kind of almost decontaminate their own journey towards being a parent and how they want to raise their children how they want to respond to their children how they want to do things rather than being on autopilot and just repeating the patterns that you're used to which we all do so I think it is for some people it's a process of becoming more self-aware about where they are and what I guess also I'm picking what does parenting mean what does it mean to be a mother I'd say that the work I do predominantly has been with mums what does that actually mean and sometimes there'll be all sorts of connotations with what it means and that's obviously going to leak into how you're going about it as well so that's something that comes up a lot and another thing that comes up a lot is learning to be more self-compassionate 
there's a lot of self-criticism there's a lot of very high expectations there's a lot of perfectionism um, I'm, I'm nodding furiously <laughs> yes, not, yeah and that's quite a common theme that comes up for people there's this immense pressure to be the perfect parent to be super mum or super dad or whatever it is um and it is compounded by societal images that we see out there. And I know that there's a lot of work being done to change the narrative or come up with a different narrative on social media and, and things like that. I think that's been there for a very long time. So I don't think it's something that's going to be dislodged overnight, really. But that's also learning how to be more compassionate. What does it mean to care for yourself? What does it mean to still prioritise yourself as well, even though you've got this baby or babies or family, really, if you've already got other children as well? So... Those are some of the things that come up. I think self-compassion is incredibly important. And again, we have two episodes with Poonam Dufa of Yes Mate for anybody interested in how to be kinder to yourself and why it is so important, not just for you, but for the whole family. Please do listen to those episodes. And we also have a special loving kindness meditation. So for anybody who needs 15 minutes to relax and just recharge and reset, please listen to that. And I hope it is helpful to you. But I think, again, this thing keeps coming up again about expectations. And there's a lot of pressure we put on ourselves as mums especially to be perfect what is your advice to mums who struggle to be this ultimate super mum yeah what's my advice I suppose I'd say that it's understandable but I think the thing is also it's also to unpick where that came from because it's taken for granted. There's this pressure, you feel these expectations and you feel you've got to adhere to them. But it's actually, are those your expectations really? Is that what, you know, if you were to get rid of all the noise, is that really what you feel, how you want to go about it? Was that really for you what feels the healthy way to go about things? And I suppose the reason I say that is that sometimes there are all these messages and sometimes, sometimes they can come from our family as well. They can come from people who care about us. And it's like, you're internalizing these messages. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I've got to be this, I've got to be that. So I think just finding a space to just reflect on, well, actually these ideas or these rules I've come up with as to what I've got to do in order to be a perfect mum, where did I get that from? You know, and sometimes some of the work that I've done with people is that actually I'm picking and thinking, actually, that's not even really what I think. That's something I've heard and it's been drummed into me by ex family member and it's just the norm. But it's like I'm now realising that it's putting me under way too much pressure and that actually maybe I need to come up with my own narrative. I need to come up with my own rules. So I would say feel free to actually try and I guess get, I know it can be hard to get into a space where you can reflect on. What do you want it to be? What would it look like for you to feel like it felt doable? You know, what would change? What would look different? Would that mean you, you sought more help in certain areas, certain things that you didn't do? Were you kind of left and you weren't on top of all the time? And so I think trying to just encourage your own sense of autonomy or agency to define for yourself what it means to mother or to be a father, to be a parent, I think is the advice I would give. But also the other thing I would say is that, and it might sound a bit, I don't know, but it's just not realistic to try to be perfect. And I don't know how else to say it. It's to, just to consider whether what you're aiming for is realistic. I know it might seem that way because celebrities and people online make it seem so easy. I would also say, remember that whatever you see is one part. People choose what they present. 
even friends, even family members, they choose what they present to you. So you have no idea, unless you obviously know somebody very well, all the other parts that they may be dealing with. Don't transpose a section or a snapshot of what somebody is showing you and then use that to compare your whole life or your whole experience, because that just piles the pressure on more as well. It's not realistic to be perfect. I mean, there's this idea of being a good enough parent and it's just like, what's good enough? Because it's about you feeling okay too. And so you can feel okay to raise your child or to do the things that you need to do. And actually self-compassion and perfectionism, they can't sit together. It might not be that easy if that's not something that comes natural to you, but I would say engage in compassionate action. So things that you know are good for you, things that you need. It might not be that you're convinced internally or I really deserve that, but your behaviour is still really powerful. And sometimes it's by changing your behaviour. Eventually it translates to what's going on inside and you start to send yourself a different message. But if, you know, we're going around doing perfectionistic things all the time, it keeps that message going that this is what you need to do in order to be a good parent. So I think trying to find small ways to break that cycle, test it out, test out not doing the perfect thing one day, just see how it goes. Leaving the washing up and just being in the moment. I think mums in particular suffer from mum guilt. We're guilty about everything and especially guilty when we do something for ourselves. And Mm. I remember that the times if Stanley was asleep and instead of, using that time fruitfully to either do the washing up or make some food or rest and relax. I would just, no, I need to be doing this. Oh no, I need to be reading Grazia. (laughs) And I'd never end up doing anything. And actually, if you sit down with a magazine, that is okay. And Mm. if you do feel guilty and anxious doing that, that's probably okay too. And just let that feeling sit with you because what you're doing is nothing wrong. And actually it's Mm. really good for you self-compassion is not being selfish and it is not putting your needs above your child's needs it is something that's important for you but also for the whole family yeah completely and I think also that just to touch on the point of mum guilt is that sometimes guilt in general not necessarily in relation to this is warranted depending on what we've done or not done. But sometimes we feel guilt because it's like we've almost kind of been conditioned to feel guilt again. So it's like sometimes it's also the feelings that you get. Oh, I need to be doing this. I need to be doing that. Oh, if I don't do this and it means this, it means that. Where did that actually come from? Is that sort of like a societal thing that, you know, we've taken on? It's kind of been pushed on a lot of people, to be honest. So it's very hard to throw that off and be the one person who doesn't ever get mum guilt. I'm not saying that, but it's just where did that come from? It's also about being able to interpret differently sometimes the emotions that we have. So sometimes if you feel guilty, then you then feel you have to do something to correct it. But sometimes, you know, kind of similar to what you're saying, it's like, okay, I'm feeling this guilt because you know, maybe societally, or these are all the messages I've gotten about what it means to be a mother and all of these kind of thing. But actually, I've always been programmed to feel like this, but that doesn't actually mean I can't still watch TV for an hour or, you know, you can still override your feeling, but you can still have the feeling and still do what it is would be best for you, I suppose. It doesn't have to be one or the other, like you don't have to obey your feelings all the time. So I suppose that's just challenging that a little bit, because sometimes our our feelings are more a reflection of our internal state rather than we're doing something wrong or it's because we should be changing our behaviour. That's not always the case. So I would just make that point as well. 
Thank you, Ori. The other thing I'd really love to talk to you in more depth about is your work with black mums and ethnic minority mums, because, I mean, something that I've learned through doing the research for this podcast is the absolutely astounding statistics with regards to perinatal care for black and minority mums. Can you talk Mm -hmm. to me about that? Yeah, some of you may have heard of five times more and that statistic of black. Well, I mean, it's it's a bit less. I think it's four and a bit times more. But the point is that, you know, five times more likely to die in childbirth in and around that time, which is really awful. So there's that clear disparity between a black mother and their white counterparts that exists. And there's been a lot of campaigning and raising awareness about that, which I think has been so important. I guess also from a mental health, more psychology perspective, I've also thought a lot about that statistic and thought, you know, there's also so many near misses. So obviously they're the people who sadly, unfortunately do die and do lose their lives. But what about the people who almost do? The trauma, the psychological trauma of going through that, the psychological trauma of their families going through that. So it is such an important thing that needs to be addressed and we need to understand and I am reiterating what's already been said in the sense that we do need to do more research as to what is going on with that statistic obviously we can't deny the fact that race is a huge aspect of that and I think also just speaking to I guess mental health as well is that black mums are more likely to have developmental health problems during the perinatal period they're less likely to get access to help as well and often there's this idea that they're hard to reach but I'm not really sure that I'm convinced by that there's some breakdown somewhere and I think it does really need to be looked at and the owner shouldn't just be on the black mothers to be the ones to have to reach out and stuff because if you know the system doesn't feel safe how easy is it for you to then still gather the courage or gather the strength to then say you're going to reach out so I don't know how much the system is catered to the experience of um, black families really to be honest Yeah, so there's a higher proportion of mental health difficulties in the black community anyway, but also within the perinatal space, high incidence of of depression and things like that. So it's really sad. And it's I suppose that's also why obviously I'm a black woman myself. So it feels it's also really important for me to work with people who look like me and who I look like. And I know that's an important thing. And many of the clients I've talked to have said they felt a lot more comfortable speaking to me. And it's difficult because I guess also in my field, as a psychologist, I'm a minority. I'm a very small minority of psychologists out there. Yes, predominantly they're women. So yes, I'm a female psychologist, but at the end of the day, the proportion of black women as psychologists is very low. So then when you think about how many black psychologists or therapists are there in the perinatal mental health space, I think I can count on my hand how many, including myself, that I know of, and I have looked into it, you know, as well. So that's another thing is, it's like, what about the representation specifically for mental health in these perinatal mental health services, in the mother and baby units for people who do have more severe difficulties? How much are they seeing themselves? How much are they reflected? How much are they mirrored in the services of that saying that they're going to provide them help? And I'm not to say that if you're Black, that means you can't feel supported by a white healthcare professional I don't think that's necessarily the case and I've had really good experiences with healthcare professionals that haven't been black do you see what I mean and it's not necessarily that if you get a black professional you'll have a better experience not necessarily but it's just that it's also the kind of um 
the optics of it as well they do matter as well mm. in terms of creating a sense of safety and making you pay maybe a bit more likely to reach out and seek help so I think for me that's a big issue for me which is why I do work a lot with black mums during this period because I feel they're important too and yes it's not just black women who need help in the perinatal space but like I said the stats show that they need more help because that's more prevalent there so for mm. me it feels it sits well for me to do that and that's what yeah. I want to do as well I'm just one person <laughs> I know I'm just one person but I hope it will change I hope I hope it will change yeah it's so important and clearly you look at the statistics and I had absolutely no idea that these statistics were so disturbing clearly there's a failure a massive failure in terms of how these women are treated and there is nothing more vulnerable than giving birth you are never at your most vulnerable and emotionally sort of exposed this takes us neatly into sort of the work you're doing with healthcare providers does this feed into re-educating them in terms of how to work better with mothers and communicate better with mums Yeah, so a part of my work is doing training around perinatal mental health. It's not a huge part of my work, but I have had some opportunities to do that. Not so much within NHS settings, but, you know, kind of like other smaller organisations who wanted to learn a bit more about it and to support. So some of these organisations do support a whole range of mums but they want to kind of understand a little bit more about how to support mums during that period as well. So I've done training and I will be doing training in regards to that. But also, yeah, it's just people who aren't necessarily who work in the, who don't work in mental health or aren't mental health specialists or anything like that, but are going to have a lot of contact with mums, with dads, with families as well. I've done kind of training around, you know, common mental health difficulties, different organisations that are out there. So how to spot the signs and symptoms. Also thinking about the impact of certain mental health difficulties on the person, on their family as well is some of the work that I've done. And that's something I would like to continue to do and kind of work more closely with maternity professionals like midwives and health visitors and everything like that. And I know perinatal mental health is definitely a lot more on the agenda than it was before. So I think it's important to keep to, to keep pushing that really, because I think it's so important because obviously we're not expecting them to be mental health experts and know everything to do but I think the role there for maternity professionals obstetricians neonatal nurses you know all these people midwives is also that is about training them to be able to assess when there's clearly a problem so that then they can be signposted to something like a perinatal mental health community team and I know a lot of those teams do work closely with maternity departments and maternity hospitals as well yeah, training is so important, something I'd like to do more of as time goes by as well, definitely. What do you think is needed then in terms of, especially with the black mums, what are the top three things that would help? Yeah, gosh, it's hard to, it's hard to say or to decide. Similar to what I said earlier, I think representation is a big issue. I'm not sure how far we're going to get if the representation continues to be how it is especially and I'm not talking so much and I don't know so much what the stats are for midwives or medical professionals obviously I'm 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 a psychologist I'm a doctor in psychology not a medical doctor but in mental health services that are predominantly for mums because there's not only the perinatal mental health community teams they've also launched maternal mental health services as well which is more for people who experience 
tocophobia or they've experienced pregnancy loss, tocophobia being a fear of an intense fear of childbirth or and birth trauma. So I think representation is one thing, but I think also there needs to be more of um I feel like there needs to be more of an effort within these services to really think about specifically maybe pathways or what they are going to do to support the black or the ethnic minority women and families that come through their system so that and not everyone's just being treated equally and everyone gets the same treatment because actually there is a difference and we can't ignore there is a massive difference between being a black mum, a black family and say a white family, for example. It's not that, you know, mental health doesn't discriminate whether you're white, black or whoever you are. But I think definitely there needs to be more of an intention, an explicit intention as to what are we going to do within these services because they are seeing black families come through and so how what are the adaptions that are being made so I think on a service level that needs to be thought about as well and I think the third thing I think is just there just needs to be more training really I think and more research about understanding the black experience as well and there's been some research but there's not a huge amount of it out there and some of this research is dating back to 2008 I don't know how much research has really been done in recent years around mental health. Specifically, I think there needs to be more research so that there's more of an understanding of the experiences so that then that can also inform the training and the understanding of how services are shaped as well. Those are the things I say, I would say, but I know it's not, they're not, well, they, they should be easily done, but I know that they're not because there's lots of systemic and things to consider, you know, and I understand that, but it does need to be a priority. It does need to be a priority. And I wonder how much that would also coincide that if the mental health aspect and the health aspect, if they're being worked on, I believe they would have knock on effects on these stats that we're seeing about maternal health outcomes and maternal mental health outcomes as well. Because you can't separate the mind from the body. If somebody's gone in and had a really traumatic experience, they're gonna that's gonna be held in their body, but that's also gonna be held in their, their mind and their psyche as well so that kind of looking at things in a conjoined more of a conjoined way definitely um, and just being better at listening actually yeah. hearing the experience but yeah I don't know I hope things will change but yeah I can only do my bit I suppose <laughs> which is what I'm trying to do and I hope you know more therapists psychologists and things that are coming up in the training will will specialize more in perinatal mental health but also trainees who are of ethnic minority as well I think because when I was doing my psychology training, perinatal mental health wasn't even mentioned as an option. Wow. At all. Yeah. And I think it's quite important that it is. And it's seen as a potential career option, a potential area that you can make a lot of difference in as well. Because it's, yeah, it's quite niche, but I think it's quite, it's just because it's niche, it's, it, but it's very important as well. I think it's fundamental. It's yeah. hugely important. As a human being, the most fundamental mm-hmm. change you go through is becoming a parent and raising a human being. And you know, when our children are, are suffering from a massive mental health crisis, one of the best things we can do is, is early intervention. And that's supporting the parents, which will support yeah. the children going forward. And also it's been proven, if I'm not mistaken, that if you intervene early or screen parents who may have mm. emotional difficulties or complex feelings around parenting, that it stops them progressing further down the line in terms of their own mental health issues so there's yeah. there's an e- economic argument there, it, there is yeah there really is there really is 
Early intervention is key. It is because it's when it's not dealt with or caught, it really does have ramifications. It could be decades in the making, and that's the truth. I've worked with people who've been, you know, sort of much older. They've got grown-up children, but they're still, say, for example, really haunted by the traumatic birth that they had, and they feel like obviously it's difficult to say, but they feel like the mental health problems or difficulties that their grown-up child is having, they've linked it back to that. And it's like, goodness, was that even seen as a traumatic birth back then? Or, you know, what was done about it? I suppose that's also why I want to work in this area, because I think it's such an opportune moment to kind of break certain cycles or relay a different type of foundation. Yes, you can't guarantee everything's going to be hunky-dory, but at least it's about giving that child the best chance because they'll grow up and maybe want to have their own children and like I said I was talking about people who experience childhood trauma or difficult childhood experiences like their parents you know things get passed on generation to generation as well so I think it is an opportunity to rescript things rewrite things as well as much as possible so I think there's a lot of hope in working in this field as well there's something quite hopeful I find about it as well it could be an opportunity to change direction and you know small things can make a huge difference in terms of how people are spoken to you know even the words that are used during labor and just want to make this point and this is something that we we cover in greater detail with Dr Rebecca Moore is that you don't need to have a medical emergency for your birth to be traumatic to you yeah and that if you feel traumatized from your birth you have birth trauma it, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. When I discovered that, and that helped me, my God, so much in, in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was feeling shameful at feeling traumatized by my birth experience. And those little things, you know, even just how you're treated, because a lot of the mm-hmm. people that I speak to, and certainly in my own experience, if you are mm-hmm. not validated or listened to during the birth experience, that can have fundamental it really can but that I think that's the thing is that I don't think and I know sometimes people don't mean to do it but that sense of being invalidated is highly traumatizing highly traumatizing not just in the context of a birth experience where you talked about feeling vulnerable like you're at your most yeah vulnerable I can't think of any other word and then to feel sidelined or erased out of the whole experience on a very deep level that is traumatic and the reason I say that is because you know, even thinking back of the work I do with um, people who've had ch- difficult childhood experiences, one of the running themes about people who then, then end up struggling with trauma and may develop, um, I mean, these are different situations. I'm not talking necessarily um, birth related, but PTSD or complex PTSD, that sense of invalidation, emotional invalidation, their sense of self being invalidated because of the environment that we're going is inherently traumatic. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is that I completely agree with you. Invalidating people at its core is a traumatic, is, is a traumatizing thing to do to someone. Yes, people will respond differently to it. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that it cuts deep. It really does cut very deep because it cuts the core of your being to feel like you've been erased, like you don't matter, almost like you don't exist, is a very, very painful thing on a psychological level to experience. And even in relationships, when we feel our partners are validating us or invalidating us, we feel dismissed. We find it painful, you know, it's difficult. So how much more in a situation where you're giving birth and you want to feel safe and you want to feel contained, and then you feel like you've just been completely bypassed by the people who are 
caring for you. So I completely agree. It's completely subjective as well. If you found it traumatic, it is traumatic. Your experience is valid. You don't need somebody else to give you a diagnosis or tell you, oh, you meet the threshold for this. It's just trust your experience. If that's what it felt like for you, then that's what it was. And I think it's about honouring that and thinking, what, what, how do you get help or how do you get supported through it? Don't not fighting with whether or not you should be feeling what you're feeling because you are feeling it anyway, regardless of whether you acknowledge it or you don't. And not feeling shame. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll obviously put a link to your website in the show notes. But for anybody who would like to reach out to you, how do they get in touch? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at London Perinatal Wellness. I also have a website, www.dronabandre.com. Yeah, those are the main ways. And yeah, you'll find my sort of email address on my website as well. So I won't read that out now. But yeah, those are the main ways you can contact me, send me a DM or send me an email or fill in the contact form on my website. So yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being a guest today. It's been such an engaging conversation and uh, yeah, it's been a joy speaking to you and I'm sure hugely reassuring to a lot of listeners. So thank you very much and we'll speak soon. Thank you. Have a lovely day. And you. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this episode of Blue Mum Days, please like and subscribe. It really does make the difference in helping other people find it. And that means helping more parents. Thank you.